at an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you were here last Sunday, you know that, uh, wow, scriptures don't get any easier for us, do they? <laughs> Let us turn to God in prayer. Lord, in these few moments that we have together, we pray, Lord, that we might understand what, not only what you were saying to your disciples so long ago, but really more importantly, what you're saying to us now. Help us to understand the impact of your words. Help us to know what you're asking of us. And then, Lord, help us help us to respond. Speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Well, when uh, the year 2017 began, we started a kind of biblical journey, if you will, with Jesus. Um, if you've been with us along the way since the beginning of the year, uh, you'll, you'll know that we've been kind of following Jesus to try to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus, um, what it means to be his disciple in this day and in this age in our own lives. And so what we did, over, what we've been doing over the course of these weeks, we, we started out, we watched him as he uh, went down to the Jordan River and was baptized by John. We, uh, we read about how the, the Spirit kind of lifted him up out of the water and drove him into the wilderness. And how when he came back from that, he, he went to his hometown of Nazareth and stood in... in uh, in front of the people that he grew up with. And, and he read from the prophet Isaiah. He read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. So we traveled with him to that point, and then we traveled with him beyond as he left the, the synagogue with people all wondering who this Jesus thought he, he was. And, he's, and he started finding people who wanted to follow him. And so he would say to them, come and see. You, you want to know what I'm all about? If you want to know what the kingdom of God is about, just come and see, come and see. And, 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 and he passed by 
fishermen. And he said, do you want to come and see? Do you want to be a follower? Do you want to be a disciple? Well, you're going to have to leave your nets behind. You're going to have to take that risk. And then come, come and follow me. And we walked with him up on the mountaintop as he got up and sat down and then began to teach through his Sermon on the Mount. And that's what we've been talking about the last couple of Sundays, his words in his Sermon on the Mount. In that sermon, he, he told those who were listening uh, that they were probably far more blessed than they realized if they looked at their lives and saw that they were they were weeping and that they were poor in spirit. And it just went on and on. You know, you're, you're far more blessed than you realize, but you're not going to be pampered if you want to be a disciple. He told them that they were in the world, and, and he was telling us we're in the world to make a difference, not just to kind of exist, not just to kind of soak up the blessings that God has to give to us, but to, but to share them, to be salt and light in the world. And we learned last week that if, if we wanted to really follow Jesus, if we really wanted to worship God, if we, if we loved God, then we were going to have to start reconciling ourselves with those people we have differences with. And that's why when he said, if you, you, you get ready to bring your gift to the altar, we'll lay it aside if you've got a problem with someone else or if someone has a problem with you, you need to go be reconciled. And we talked about how being reconciled meant being changed, having one's very heart changed. Well, all of these lessons have been very important for us over the last few weeks. But now we began the graduate level training today. If his students, and if we thought it was hard to follow Jesus back then, up to this point, they had no idea how hard it was about to get. So I want, I want to look at our scripture lesson this morning and, and kind of, there's a lot there. There's far more there than can be preached in one sermon. And, and I want to pick out what I see as three commandments that Jesus was giving his disciples and giving us as well. Three things that he was, he was saying that if you want to be my disciple, this is what you're going to need to do. And so we'll look at them one, one at a time. The first one, the first commandment is leave vengeance to God. He said, if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. That's verse 39. Now what Jesus was doing with that phrase is that he was confronting the well-known but probably misunderstood law of retaliation. The, the Latin uh, term that's used has been over the centuries by the church to refer to this law of retaliation is called lex talionis. Now this law of retaliation was meant to instruct those who sat in judgment over the people. Now that's important to note because it was not a, a law that was meant for the everyday common person how to relate to their, uh, their neighbors. But it was meant as instructions to the judges, to those who, who in an official capacity was to make a decision about 
justice. When someone was wronged, how was the victim to be, you know, to be provided justice? And the law was even more than what Jesus speaks of. The law says a life for a life as well as an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And it was meant not so much as a prescription. You come before me, your neighbor plucked out your eye. Well, we're going to pluck out your neighbor's eye. It wasn't, it wasn't a prescription. It wasn't like the, uh, the minimum sentence. But it was meant to be a limitation to those who had to sit in judgment. It was meant to say, no more than that was to be done. If someone stole a loaf of bread, you cannot, you should not, God would not allow you to take their life. It's not just, it's not fair, it's not right. So you see, the law of retaliation was meant as a, as a limitation on those who sat in judgment. But by the time that Jesus was preaching his sermon on the mount, people had begun to see the law as kind of a, a personal authorization, a personal authority to exact revenge on other people. You take my eye out, and I'm going to take yours out. I have that right. That's what the law says. I have the right to do that. And that's, that's how I dare say many of us see it today when we read those words. And that's what Jesus speaks of in, in his lesson. But the Mosaic law was clear. If you look in the 19th chapter of Leviticus, 18th verse, you find these words, you shall not take revenge or bear a grudge against any of your people. Pretty clear, isn't it? It's a law, part of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. It was the law that was given to Moses, who in turn gave it to the people. And this was meant for everyone, not just the judges, but for you, you and me as well. You shall not take revenge or bear a grudge against any of your people. And the Apostle Paul refers to this law in his letter to the Romans, the 12th chapter, the 19th verse. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, Jesus isn't saying that those who harm others are free to do as they please, and it doesn't matter if they harm anybody, well, let them go. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying that you and I are not to take the law into our own hands. And also, he's really talking about a different kind of harm, too. He's not talking about all the, all the harms that can be inflicted upon us, physically or otherwise. When he says, if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also, he's talking about a particular kind of harm. Think about this. How would you hit someone on the, on the right cheek? And why did he even say right cheek? Why didn't he just say, if anyone strikes you? on the face, or if anyone strikes you on the cheek, if, if anyone beats you up. That's not what he says. He says, if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. Most people, not all, my brother's a lefty, but most people are right-handed. How do you hit someone on the right cheek? Okay, how do I hit you on the right cheek? I'm going to have to do it like this. I'm going to have to hit her with the back of my hand. 
If I wanted to slap her really good, I'll do it this way, right? But I'm going to slap her on the right cheek with the back of my hand. It's meant as an insult, you see. You see, what, what Jesus is saying is that if anyone insults you, if anyone belittles you, if anyone humiliates you, if anyone makes you feel horrible inside, turn the cheek. Turn away. Turn around. Jesus is saying we're not to take personal insults to the point of retaliation. I don't know if you grew up with this phrase, but I did. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. It was meant as a, to remind myself as a child, no matter what people say about me, no matter how hurtful their words are, they have not harmed me. We live in an age of disrespect, don't we? My goodness, you, you look anywhere. Look on Facebook and tweets and email. We just live in an age of disrespect. So much so that we've turned the noun disrespect into a verb, haven't we? It's become a verb. And we've actually invented a new word altogether. Dis. You dissed me. Ah. Only in this time could we invent such a crazy word. When I was in the sixth grade, I attended a little elementary school up in Northern Virginia called Fort Myer Elementary. It was a little school right on the edge of the Arlington National Cemetery. I lived with my dad and um, older brother in an apartment, oh, only a mile or so from the school. I was called Alvin then, and uh, and there was uh, another Alvin in the school. There were two of us. I, on the one hand, was a crossing guard. I, I don't think there are crossing guards today in, in schools. But back then, uh, select students were allowed to, to wear a white belt with a strap over the shoulder and a silver badge. And our job was to protect the kids when they got off the bus to stand near the bus, make sure they got into the school, and we would ride the bus, make sure people kind of stayed in their place. And, uh, and then when we got off the bus, we would make sure that they were safe uh, when they got off the bus as they made their way home. It was kind of a privilege to be a, a crossing guard. I always wanted to get the gold badge, but it would take a lot more effort than I probably was able or willing to do. <clears throat> the other Alvin in the school was a little different. He was the bad Alvin. <laughs> and he hated me. Oh, did he hate me. He never missed an opportunity to tell me what a horrible person I was. I don't think he liked my badge. <laughs> uh, he just didn't like me. And uh, I remember one day in particular, it's kind of been galvanized in my memory of going home on the bus, and there was another crossing guard on the bus that we got off on the same, on the same, at the same stop. She was a blonde and one of the most beautiful creatures I'd ever seen, and I was so intent on impressing her. 
Well, for whatever reason, Bad Alvin decided to ride the bus home that day and got off on the same stop. And he proceeded to to hurl hurtful words toward me, egging me on, getting right in my face and just saying, you think you're so good. Come on, come on. He would push me and I'd stand my ground, but I didn't take the bait. Eventually pushed me to the ground and he finally realized I wasn't going to do anything so he just turned away in disgust and left mumbling some epithet under his breath. I got up and brushed myself off. I wasn't hurt, not physically, but I was out of the corner of my eye. I could see the other crossing guard and tears just started flowing. I was so embarrassed, so humiliated, and I quietly made my way home. I was in the sixth grade. That was a long time ago, and it and then that incident had stayed has stayed with me all all these years. I don't know whatever happened to the other Alvin. Don't know what happened in his life. Don't know, you know, uh, where he went. But I have often found myself second-guessing what I did that day and, and maybe what I didn't, wondering, did I do the right thing? Should I, have, should I have done something else? I know there are parents who tell their children, don't you let anybody push you around and, and really almost encourage their children to, back, um, to, to fight back. But the more I think about it, the more I think that's, yeah, that, I did what, what I think Christ would have called me to do. It wasn't easy. And, and that's what I learned way back then is that turning your cheek is not easy. Never has been easy. Never will be easy. Love is not easy. Jesus said, if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. Well, the, the second commandment that he gives to us is go the second mile. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Well, he was speaking to another kind of law, if you will, a a Roman law. It was a Roman law that anyone in, in a conquered land who was not a Roman citizen would be required to carry the load of a Roman citizen who commanded them to do so. And they would have to carry it for no more than one mile, one mile. It was a law. You could be arrested if you didn't do what the Roman citizen called you to do in carrying a load. We see an example of that in the, in the story of Simon of Cyrene, Cyrene. Remember how Jesus was carrying his cross to Golgotha and he falls to the ground and Simon is coming in from the, from the uh, outer country and, and the Roman soldier commands him to pick up the cross and carry it the rest of the way. Now Jesus isn't just saying, do what the law requires and do it with a smile on your face. He's not saying, I know you hate this. I know you hate to do what the Romans want you to do. I know you hate to obey the law, but just do it and do it with the right kind of attitude about it. He's not just saying that. 
He's, going, he's saying go the second mile. Go beyond what the law requires. Go beyond what the hated Roman law says. Go the second mile. Let them know what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Have you ever heard that phrase, that's not in my job description? Maybe you've used it before. Think about how different the world would be if people consistently went beyond their job description. If people consistently looked for ways to do more than even what the law requires. How many, how many times have you passed by a piece of trash and said, that's not my job. Someone else will pick it up. That's as simple a matter of anything as anything. But think also about this commandment, <coughs> excuse me, in, in spiritual terms. Think about if we lived out this commandment going the second mile from a spiritual point of view, we would begin to see the tithe as it's supposed to be seen, not as, not as the goal, but as a minimum. It's a starting point. It's the first mile. It's not the second mile or third mile. It's not, it's not that far off place in the distance. But no, tithe is, is part of saying, Lord, I, I want to give back to you just a little bit of what you've given to me. Think about what it would mean if we went the second mile in terms our, of our activities in the life of the church. Would attending worship on Sunday mornings be enough? Would that be more than one mile? Would we, how would we go farther? What other things would we do? What other ministries would we be engaged in if we truly took this seriously about going the second mile? Prayer would become a lifestyle, not just a periodic you know, ending of the evening or beginning of a meal or a meeting. We would begin to see that taking care of our neighbors is every bit as important as taking care of our own family. Last Thursday, um, a woman parked her car in our parking lot. She was not a member she had not come to uh, a meeting at the church. Maybe she had an appointment um, at the courthouse, or maybe she was doing a little shopping in the downtown mall. I don't know. Friday is my day off, and so after a meeting Thursday night, I made my way to Richmond, and I was there. And so I learned about this whole incident by way of emails that were being exchanged among a number of our staff people. Well, the woman came back later that afternoon only to find that her car wouldn't start. Uh, there were staff people who had realized the car was there and didn't belong there. And those of you who park in our parking lot, you know how difficult parking is, uh, and for that matter, anywhere in the downtown Charlottesville area. <clears throat> she couldn't get the car started, and she didn't have money to call for a wrecker or someone to come and fix her car right then and there. And so she called a friend to, to take her home. And so she was there for quite a while waiting for a ride. And from what I gathered from the emails, she finally made her way. And she had uh, left a note on her, on her dashboard indicating that, you know, it was her car and that she would remove it as soon as she could. Well, the next day, staff people arrived 
only to find that the car was still there, but it was now jacked up, and there were various parts of the engine lying about on the, on the parking lot, tarmac. And uh, so it was interesting to read the various emails as they went along. I was uh, sort of like, what do, they, what do they call that in Facebook when you stalk? Stalking, is that? I was stalking the emails, you know, just watching and listening as people debated what to do about this woman. And I, and I won't uh, give names, uh, but, I, but there was one response that really made me proud. And I wanted to read this to you. I want to avoid any situation where we punish them for having their car break down. If it, all, if it is all possible, I would like for us to volunteer to help pay to have their car towed back to their house. And I would like to avoid any situation where they have to pay any additional funds to get their car out of an impound lot. That sounds like the second mile to me. Like I said, I, I just, I felt good about that. I felt good that in the midst of all the discussion about what to do about this woman in her car, that at least one staff member said, let's go the second mile. A couple of years ago, uh, we had a someone, a homeless man, come to our church and um, he was trying to make his way home, needed some help with a bus ticket. He had all of his belongings in about three or four or five trash bags. And it was clear there was no way they were going to let him on the uh, bus with that. And so uh, the Mullaney's, some of you know them, Skip and Mary Ann, they say, look, we'll go out and we'll get, a, we'll get some kind of a suitcase or duffel bag and and I say, well, I'll, and I'll take them over to the Greyhound station and we'll get a ticket for them and we'll meet there. And so that's what they did. They went off to get the, the bag and I took the, the man to the Greyhound station loading up all of his trash bags. We got there and uh, the Mullaney's arrived and all, the, all of his belongings were stuffed into, into this uh, new luggage that they had gotten for him. And... Um, and uh, it, I went to buy the ticket, and the woman behind the counter said, well, I can sell you the ticket, but I can tell you he's not going to be allowed on the bus. I said, what do you mean? She said, I, I hate, to, hate to tell you, but he just smells really bad, and they're not look at him. And I mean, his shirt was, looked like he had been wearing it for a month. And you could smell the urine. You could smell all of what goes along with that, and... And she said, you know, the bus driver has complete authority to refuse someone entry on the bus if, if they are not smelling right. So I turned around to the man and I said, do you have another shirt? Do you have something that, you know, we could find, you know, in your bag? Do you have something? And he shook his head. He was kind of embarrassed. I turned back to the woman. And I said, well, I don't, you know, maybe we could talk to the bus driver and and then I looked over him up, well, I looked back again, and all of a sudden, he had a new shirt on. I mean, it was, it was as clean a shirt as I have ever worn. It looked like it had been pressed. It looked like a business shirt. I said, wow. I said, how's that? And she said, that's fine. 
Then I looked over my other shoulder and I saw Skip Mullaney. His shirt was gone. He had put his jacket over. It was his shirt that was on the man. I turned back around to pay for the ticket and she said, don't worry, ticket's on me. I said, no, no, I'll pay. She said, no. I want to do this. Skip Mullaney had gone the second mile. And the woman behind the counter joined him in his journey. Jesus says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. And then finally, finally, the, the third commandment that Jesus gave was love your enemies. He says in verse 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is perhaps the most difficult of the three commandments. Because, you know, too often we confuse loving with liking. And there are a lot of people we don't like, and so we choose not to love them. But Jesus equates loving enemies with praying for them, being care, caring about them. Abraham Lincoln said, Do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? Then we learned that lesson after World War II with the Marshall Plan, making Germany and Japan some of our closest allies today because we learn to love our enemies. The Jews in Jesus' day had many enemies. The Romans, of course. They hated the Samaritans. Tax collectors were their enemies and for that matter, any sinner. When Jesus told his story that we call the parable of the Good Samaritan, we, we often think that story was told to tell us all how to be, you know, loving people to people who are down and out, who have, you know, lost everything, maybe in a hurricane or a tornado. And when people... You know, just having a tough time, we should love them. We should be a good Samaritan. Even people who have never darkened the door of a church, they seem to know that story, and that's what they, that's what they think of. But that's not what Jesus was trying to say with that story. He was talking to a lawyer who had asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to experience life at its fullest? And the answer was clear, love your neighbor, love God, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the problem with the, this Jewish lawyer who was asking the question, he didn't know who his neighbor was. He thought he did. He thought he loved his neighbor. But Jesus tells the story so he understands that his neighbor happens to be his enemy. And the lawyer knew how to love people who were easy to love, but the lawyer did not know how to love his enemy. And that's what Jesus is saying. You want life? Do you want the fullness of the kingdom of God? Then you've got to learn to love your enemies because it has more to do with you than it does with them. So my question to you is, who is your enemy? Is it someone of an opposite political, social, or theological view? Is that, is that who your enemy is? Is it a terrorist or someone that's an immigrant or a refugee? 
Is your enemy someone who abuses drugs or breaks the law? What, who is your enemy? Who do you find it most difficult to love? The hardest person for you to love is probably your greatest enemy. And that is precisely who Jesus is calling you to love. Not for their sake, but for yours. Who said love was easy? Who? It wasn't Jesus. He said, leave vengeance to God. He said, go the second mile. Both of those things are hard to do. But sometimes it can feel almost impossible to do the third thing he said, love your enemies. It isn't easy to love. But it is pretty simple. Let us pray. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for just going the one mile and thinking, wow, we've done something special. Help us to realize you want us to go a lot, lot farther. Help us to love as you have loved. Amen. We'll continue in uh, our worship.